Good morning. We are in our series in Deuteronomy, where we've been for a few months. We took a break during Advent, but we're here again. We went through the Ten Commandments, and now we're in the section where Moses is expounding those commandments for us, and we get the privilege of talking about worship this morning. If Deuteronomy is new to you, it is the fifth book of the Old Testament, or the entire Bible. It's right after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 156. The other day, I was was in a coffee shop, just, you know, sipping on an Americano. I went there to eat, and I was meeting somebody. And over to my left, there were a group of ladies, um, and I've noticed this in St. Louis, there are always a group of ladies somewhere in the morning playing some sort of card games or or uh, some, I don't know, even know what a pie show or whatever it may be that they're playing, some form of Quidditch and cards, who knows. <laughs> but they were, over, they were over to my left, and um, I thought to myself, oh, man, that's so cute. You know, they, they get together and they fellowship. They want to hear about each other's lives, and I'm just sipping my coffee where su- when suddenly there was commotion. And, you know, my first responder sense kind of kicked in right away, and I'm like, it's a heart attack or some, somebody's choking. But I look over, and I hear one lady, she wasn't yelling, but she was raising her voice because apparently somebody in the group had cheated. <laughs> somebody had decided to step outside the boundaries of the card game and had brought disorder and turmoil to the, to the table. And what God is telling us this morning through Moses in our passage is something similar, that we have to stay within the bounds in order to have joy that we were meant to have. Moses, in our passage, he will warn the people of Israel that they'll be living in a land where the nations have worshipped other gods through various rituals and practices, and they will be tempted to look at those rituals and the other gods and want to imitate that, and then want to bring that in bounds as if it has place in God's world. And what he'll tell them then is that these bounds that have been set by God are not there to restrict your fun. Rather, they're there so that you can have the freedom of joy and worship that you were meant to have. That's what you were made for. But that can only happen in bounds. It's kind of like a, any sports game that you can imagine, right? There, there are and on a basketball courts, there are boundaries around so that the play can happen in those boundaries. But once you step outside those boundaries, you're no longer playing. It's no longer fun. And so the question we're going to ask this morning is how are we to worship God? How do we stay within the bounds of worship to the most holiest being in all of the universe? Uh, the, the chapter that we have before us here is a fairly long chapter, so I selected some verses, and I'll guide us through it as we, as we read it. But would you read with me? Beginning in verse 30, so we're skipping a little ahead, and then we'll come back. We'll read verse 30 and 31, and then I'll guide us through the rest. Take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, that you do and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods, that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God 
in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Now going back to verse 4 and 5. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all the tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring all of your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice you and your households in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. And lastly, verse 18, but you shall eat them, that is all of the offerings, not the people, of course, you shall eat all, of the, all that you bring before the Lord your God in that place that the Lord your God will choose, you and your sons and your daughter and your male servants and your female servant and the Levite who is within your towns and you shall rejoice before the Lord in all that you undertake. This is the word of the living God. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we are able to worship you, that you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you, that we can be in the bounds of a relationship so that we can enjoy you, Lord, and rejoice with all of creation because all of it you have made for your glory. Help us, Lord, to worship you well. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. So how are we to worship the Lord? Well, first, I do want to acknowledge that there is some strong language in this passage before us. We see that beginning in verses two and three that Moses, under the direction of God, is telling them that they are to destroy, to tear down, to chop down all the places of worship to these other gods. There's also mention here of dispossessing people from the land. And now Chris preached about that a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to share much on that. But it's important to understand that this commandment from the Lord was specifically for this people, of God in that time and in that context. As a matter of fact, in verse 3, it ends there with out of that place, right? You're to remove people out of that place. In other words, the promised land. So as we read this, believers today aren't to somehow assume that we are to go to places of worship here in the United States and begin to destroy them or to chop them down. Like you're not to go to a mosque or to a Hindu temple and tear those things down or to an abortion facility and destroy that either. It was rather for that people in that time, in that context. It's not like the U.S. is the new promised land or something like that. There was a promised land and it was there, that place, as we see in verse 3. However, the principle behind what Moses is saying is what must be followed. And we see that in verses 4 and 31, and these are sort of bookends to our entire passage at the beginning and at the end. We see there, you shall not worship the Lord your God in this way. That is, in the way that the other nations are worshiping the Lord. Now, why would God say that? Well, it's for two reasons. One is that humans, we have a tendency to look at things, be attracted to them, and then want to imitate that. 
We are imitating creatures. This is, and at the front of your bulletins, there's a quote from Aristotle that says, this is what we do from our youth. We are imitators. And that's also what we see in verse 30 that we just read. But two, we often take the rituals that have been offered to other gods and we attempt to bring that into the boundaries that God has set. We attempt to bring that into relationship to God, like bringing a third party into a marriage. It's out of bounds, but we do it all the time. It's like taking yoga. Now, some of you are, are probably like, oh, 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 pastor, please don't take yoga from me. I'm not saying yoga is bad, per se. It's good to breathe. Breathe. Please breathe. It's also good to stretch. It's good for your body, but don't, don't take the practices of yoga and say, I'm doing a downward dog to the Lord, right? Like, I'm taking this pose that was for another God, and I'm going to attempt to pose myself in a way that worships God. That is out of bounds, but we attempt to do that all the time, and I'm sure you can find several Christian sects around the country who try to bring two things that shouldn't belong together together. But Moses gives us boundaries here so that we don't step outside those bounds. So they're, they're more like warnings for us. And we'll see that this is our first point, beginning in verse 5, where he first says there, you, instead of trying to bring things together and, and making idols out of things, we shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all the tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. So the first thing you must do is seek. Now, it's important to note that seek is different from peak, right? Peak is something that happens really quickly, like peekaboo, I see you, and then you're done. But seek is more of an ongoing thing. I think sometimes children struggle to understand this, at least my children may struggle to understand this, when I send them to seek for something that's been lost. I tell them, hey, you need to go and seek or search for your watch. And then I'll see him a few seconds later playing. And I'm like, oh, did you find your watch? No. So what are you doing? Oh, I, I couldn't find it. Well, that's because you stopped seeking for it. You stopped searching for it. You see, seeking is the ongoing, diligent inquiry into a matter. And you don't stop seeking until you've actually found it. And what Moses is telling us here is that what we're seeking for is the place that the Lord has chosen to put his name and make his dwelling there. Interestingly, the place isn't mentioned here, right? There aren't earthly coordinates that are given to us here because I don't think that was the point. The focus wasn't on an earthly place. Rather, it was wherever the Lord chose to put his name and make his dwelling there. The focus on the earthly place actually led to many debates in the ancient world, and this is highlighted for us in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman, where Jesus tells her that the time had come right there in her presence where debates about the place, wherever that place was, would be irrelevant because people would worship God in spirit and in truth. And what the Bible is pointing, the entire Bible is pointing to, is that where the Lord chose to put his name and where the Lord chose to make his habitation was in Jesus himself. That is Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, where we read that in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
and all of Scripture, what it's telling us is that any worship to God must first come through that place, the object of worship, which is Jesus himself. Any worship of, of a God through any other religion or any other person other than Jesus is not acceptable to God. It is outside the bounds of worship. And some so-called Christians today have said, well, hold on, Jesus wasn't that exclusive, right? Like, all, play, all roads lead to heaven, every religion leads to God. It's all about love, and it's all about coexisting. That's how we worship the God, the, the same God that we're all on an upward hill climbing toward. But what does Jesus say about this? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one, that, that's nobody, comes to the Father, that is, comes to worship God, but through me, Jesus is saying. That's a truth claim. And actually what Jesus tells the Samaritan woman is that that's what the Father is seeking. People who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so how do we worship God? Well, the first thing we see is that we must seek and come to Jesus. We must come to the place where the Lord has chosen to put his name and make his dwelling there, and that is Jesus. In the fullness of all revelation, it is him. So those are the initial bounds that we have. But now what do we do as we're within those bounds? Well, look there, look with me to verse 11. Once you've come to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you. And then he makes a list for us here, for the children of Israel, where they are to bring, what they are to bring. And he tells them you're to bring your offerings, you're to bring your sacrifices, you're to bring your tithes and contributions, you're to bring all of your finest vows. What Moses is telling them is they are to bring the, the best of life. They are to bring their choice possessions before the Lord. They were to that requires them to actually be thoughtful about what they have been given, to take an inventory of their life and then give the best of that life to the Lord. When they thought about all of that, where God had brought them, what God had given to them, they would of course, they would of course come to the conclusion that nobody else in all of the universe was more worthy than God to receive the very best of life. They were to bring their very best game, like literally bring their best game to the Lord. And we see that even reiterated then in Deuteronomy 14, which I, I will not read for you, but it's there for reference uh, for you to read later. So this was the way that they would worship the Lord. It was an expression of their highest gratitude to the Lord who had done all of this for them. So thankful that they would rejoice together. As a community, that's the purpose of it. Bringing all your stuff was to rejoice. That's verse 12. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns. That was the purpose. But then there's one warning. Well, this is the warning that kind of travels throughout the passage. Don't imitate. Don't worship the Lord your God like the other nations. And they say in verse, Moses tells them in verse 8, that they weren't to do whatever was right in their own eyes. And they weren't in verse 13, to give of their best to just any place you see. 
Instead, they were to bring their very best to the place that God would choose to place his name and make his habitation there. And so how are we to worship God? Not only was, must we first come to Jesus, seek and find and come to Jesus, but then we are to bring the very best of life to the Lord. Now, there's no greater example of that, bringing the very best, than God himself giving Jesus for us. The very treasure of heaven given as a sacrifice so that you would be able to come to him, so that you would be able to stay in bounds of that relationship with God. And when you think about that, what the Lord has done to make it possible for you to even come and worship and rejoice in his presence, who is more worthy than the very best of your life than Jesus himself? The question is, where is the best of your life going? What have you done with your choice treasures and talents and time? Where does it go? Have you taken an inventory of your life? Everything that the Lord has given to you, everything that the Lord has made possible for you to have the blessings that he gives you. And have you brought him your choice sacrifices and offerings. There's three categories that we typically share with uh, our new members where we can do this, where we can actually bring the best of life, and they are your talents, your treasures, and your time. Your talents are all of the skills that you've had, that you have now, that you have developed over time, or that you just have innately. Some have the gift of music, some are artists, some understand finance, some are mechanics, doctors, there, there's a host of talents, and I'm sorry if I didn't mention it now, that doesn't mean I don't value it. You have them, you know what they are. The question is, what do you do with them? Have you taken an inventory of what you've been given, and have you brought them to just any place you see? Have you brought it to uh, what, what you think is, is the best for it? Right? Or, or whatever's fit in your own eyes? Or have you carefully considered how you can bring your choice portion of your talents before Jesus, the very object of worship? The other thing is your treasure. Right? This is typically money. And I know that's a very touchy subject in church. Trust me, I, I understand that. This is my father's greatest objection to Christianity and church itself. He says, oh, I'll never go to church. The church just wants your money. And he has every reason to think that. Like, this is what, has, what America has exported the most of throughout the world when it comes to Christianity, is the health and prosperity gospel. That God wants you to be wealthy and rich, and that you should bring your treasures to uh, the, the person who is at the front of the pulpit because what's fit in his eyes is to line his own pockets with your treasure. So I get it. I understand. But that doesn't negate the fact that the Lord tells us here, if you are a child of God, this isn't for just anybody. This is if you are a believer, if you are a child, if you've been brought within bounds, that you are to bring the very best that God has given to you to him, to the place that makes his name known throughout the world. 
Now, if for whatever reason, this church or any other ministry or church that you have given your, your treasure to decides to stop furthering the name of Jesus throughout the world or to further the name of some pastor throughout the world, then by, any, by every means, bring your treasure elsewhere. But you are still to bring your choice treasure to the place that the Lord has made his name known, which is to Jesus, the place that furthers his name throughout the world. And lastly, I'll add here as I'm running out of it, is your time. <laughs> now, time, time is one of the most precious things that you have been given. I mean, what is more precious, honestly, than the time you have to spend in God's world, in God's creation? But what do we do with our time? We spend so much of it in, in the things we see fit to spend them in. We spend it on screens. We spend it scrolling, right, doom scrolling through social media. And we spend it a lot on sports and entertainment and adventure. We spend it with family. Now, these things aren't all bad, of course. I'm not saying that any of that is bad. The question is, how much of it are you giving to it? Now, in our new members class, Chris has a, like a time tithe formula that he says we should all consider. And if you think about the week, right, you have 168 hours in a week. And if you subtract from that, say, 50 hours for sleep and 50 hours for work, that leaves you with about 68 hours in the week to do various activities. What are, what are you doing with that time? If we were just to take a tenth of those 68 hours you would be left with about six hours and 45 minutes, give or take. Is that time that you spend giving to the things of God, giving back to God what he's giving you, what he's given you? Yesterday, uh, a group of people went down and, and gave some of their time at Restore St. Louis, right? Serving the elderly and the widows. That is worship to God. There are countless people here, I know Chuck Barker and Tim Moffat, who spend their time in the prisons, sharing the name of Jesus, furthering his name in some of the darkest places here in St. Louis. That is service to the Lord. That is bringing worship to God and also honoring what the Lord says here, the Levite that is within your town, those on the margin. So action and time in service is an act of worship to the Lord. And so... You worship God by first seeking and also um, coming to Jesus, but also you worship the Lord by bringing the very best of life, your choice possessions, your time, your talent, and your treasures. Now, I must mention here as we're talking about worship that in the Reformed tradition, there is a view of worship called the RPW, right? We love our acronyms. The RPW stands for the Regulative Principle of Worship, which is basically summarized in the common phrase, um, whatever is not commanded is forbidden. So if it's not specifically commanded by God in Scripture, then you shan't do it. Just don't even think about it. And while we agree with that in principle, of course, because it's from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, uh, subsection 1, and I won't read it for you because time, but I do recommend that you go and read that. While we agree with it, 
there are some things concerning the worship of God that aren't explicitly commanded for us in Scripture. And there are a host of things that we have to think through when it comes to the worship of God. And so we have, if we are to follow the regulative principle of worship, we have to do it in light of Westminster Confession, chapter 1, verse uh, subsection 6. And this I will read for us. And it tells us that how we glorify God is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. And there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God. Notice there are some circumstances, not all, but some, concerning the worship of God and the government of the church that are common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature, that is, general revelation, and Christian prudence, that is, wisdom, and also the rules set down in the word. And so there are some circumstances that we're, we're not going to be able to fully understand how God has told us to worship, but we need to make, after reading scripture and using wisdom and looking at creation, come to the best conclusion that we can as a community. Uh, John Frame, he actually writes a list of these things for us in his book, The Doctrine of the Christ Christian Life, such as time. Like, what time should we worship the Lord? What if we decided, like, hey, 3 a.m.? Come on, guys, we're worshiping at 3 a.m. next Sunday. Would that be wise? No, but the time that we worship is not commanded in Scripture. How about the number of songs we should sing? Some say three because of the Trinity. Some say seven because it's the perfect number. What about 12 for 12 apostles? What about 150 for the Psalms? Should we sing all of those in a worship service. That would be a long Sunday. But it can be done if you want to do it. What about language? Should we worship in Hebrew as they worshiped? Or in Aramaic? Or Greek? Like what language should we worship in? How many children should we have in the worship service? How, how many women should be up here? How many men? How many instruments should we have? What about lights? There's no electricity commanded in Scripture. Should we go back to candles? Should we have pews? Should we have seats? Should we have nothing at all and you bring your own stool like they did in the 17th century? And I, I highly recommend you read the story of Jenny Geddes who brought her stool and chucked it at the minister. Please do not do that, but read about her. It's fascinating. Jenny Geddes. Seriously, write it down. <laughs> See, the purpose of the boundaries that have been set up by the Lord, it's not so that we would focus on the boundaries, but so that we would have freedom to worship God. It would be like tonight that Patrick Mahomes or Purdy, after every single snap that they take, they take a step back and they're like, ooh, that's out of bounds, ooh. That's out of bounds. Behind me, out of bounds. For, before me, out of bounds. If all he focused on was the bounds, that would be a boring Super Bowl. Or entertaining, however, if you, if you like to see someone flustered. See, rather, the boundaries, the point of the boundaries, is what we read in verses 7 and in verses 18. That you would be able to, before the Lord, come and eat 
that you would be able to sit before the Lord and eat. There we read that you and your household together as a community would eat and you would rejoice. See, what the Lord wants more than anything is to eat with you. It's kind of, it reminds me of like a grandma. Have, I, this is what I thought of as I was just uh, thinking about this this morning, is I have a grandma who loves to watch us eat. Have you, no, maybe it's just me? Like she'll, she'll sit in the kitchen or she'll stand in the kitchen for hours, right? Making, putting in there the best ingredients so that we have the best nourishment. And then she sits at the table and she doesn't even eat. She'll, she'll eat later, but she just has joy in watching us eat. And that's what the Lord wants for us. He wants to eat with us in our presence. Now, if you think of anything in this passage, think of a party. Because, you know, when you get an invitation to a party, you're given the place, and then you bring your gift, and then you eat. That's what a feast is. And this is what er everything in this passage is pointing to something like that. Look at verse four, seek the place, and then verse seven, and you shall rejoice. And verse 11, bring the best of life, and verse 12, and you shall rejoice. And then verse 18, eat all of you from all that the Lord has given you, feast, and you shall rejoice. It's all about a feast. That's what worship is. It's not to focus on the do's and don'ts. Of course, there are some things that shouldn't be done, and that much is clear here, right? Don't don't imitate the world in that. But the point of it is so that you would have a feast before the Lord. And now this is, an, this is an invitation to everybody. Come and feast in the Lord's presence. It's an invite to come to the greatest party the world has ever known. And sometimes what we do, if you can imagine that, what we do with the RSVP is no. Or, you know what, I think... I think I'm just gonna go elsewhere. And, and that's, you can make that decision, that is your choice. The invite is the party's here, but you can make your choice to go elsewhere. But if you do that, just know you will miss the party. It's, it's what happens in all of our human parties as well. But if you come to this party, know that it is the greatest feast the world has ever known or imagined. If you can even imagine the greatest, most luxurious feast you, could, you can even think of, then that means that this party is even greater than that. Now, what would the price be for a party like that? I know what VIP tickets to the Sandra McCracken concert is, but what would like VIP tickets be to like Taylor Swift, right? There you go. Or, or what would VIP, so if you think of that, think of that reaction right there. Now imagine VIP tickets to sit in the presence of the greatest being in all the universe and eat with him. What would be the price of that? The price is unimaginable. In our passage, if you read through this later, you'll see that the price were animals the blood of animals that was spilt on the ground. 
And there's much to be said here about the humane treatment of animals, much more than I have time for. But of course, you should treat your animals humanely. But that was the cost of admission to be in the presence of God. And this was all pointing to the time where the very Lamb of God, the Son of God, would be taken outside the bounds of the walls of Jerusalem and be crucified on a Roman cross so that his blood would spill on the ground and pay the price of your admission to this feast. And if you think about what God did for you to be able to stand in his presence and worship him, who else is more worthy of worship than Jesus? And as we come to him right now, as we're about to sing, think about that and bring all of yourself. Bring your, bring your culture. If you want to dance, as it says in, in Psalm 150, then dance. That's who God has made you to be. be. There are no boundaries around dancing. We, we have tambourines sometimes up front, and it's such a soothing sound to hear just because I remember growing up in the Pentecostal church where almost everyone had tambourines, but it was a little chaotic, of course. So everything in decency and good order. But yet, bring the very best of life to the Lord. Bring your life to him. For he has given it to you. And when you think about that, there's no one greater and no one more worthy of worship than the Lord. And so how do we worship the Lord? We, of course, we seek and we come to the place where the Lord has placed his name and made his dwelling there, and that is Jesus. And then we bring to him the very best of life. But lastly, we feast in his presence. That is what you were made for. And let's do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have made us to enjoy you, Lord. That you have moved heaven and earth to be able to bring us within the bounds of joy. To bring us in a place where we can enjoy you forever, Lord. The boundaries aren't there to restrict us, Lord, or, or to place us some sort of to hinder our fun, Lord, but rather is so that we can enjoy you forever within those bounds. Lord, thank you, Lord, for making us to worship you. And I pray that all of our life, all of our talent, our treasure, and our time would be given to you. In your name we pray, amen and amen.